I am Indonesian and I am Hindu as well. Uh, there is no need for me to change my official religion, which is actually a thing in Indonesia. For example, if you enter Christianity, you would have to be baptized. Um, similarly, there is a ceremony that you will have to undertake if you would like to officially be recognized as a Hindu. Um, and today we will have Purnama, a friend of mine, who is both Swiss and Balinese, who is actually waiting up for schedule to be also ceremonially welcomed to Hinduism. However, I am not only Indonesian and not only Hindu, I am ethnically not Balinese, I am actually ethnically Indian. Even though my family have been in Indonesia for a very long time, and I am the fourth generation here, there is still a stigma that comes to being a non-Balinese or being a non um, a non-indigenous person. And in this episode, we'll actually discover this: um, the race, the identity, and the ceremonial trap of what it means to be someone that's not Balinese yet Balinese. So the ceremony of Sudi Wadani is basically a ceremony when um, a foreigner usually or someone who is non-Hindu would then enter Hinduism in Indonesia. And this is actually a ceremony, however it's treated more or less like a government compulsory bureaucracy act. And um, it involves three different kinds of uh, witnesses. The first witness would be Manuse Saksi, which would be people from the village or people from the Ministry of Religion or from the Hindu Council. Um, then there is Dewa Saksi, or the witness of God within the heart. And thirdly, there is Buddha Saksi, or the presence and the neutralizing effect or the neutralizing act of making sure that there's no lower creatures influencing your decision on changing religions. And in this very um, bureaucratic and somewhat beautiful ceremony, a person would then have to commit themselves to the five faiths or Panchasrada of the Hindu Dharma. The first one would be belief in Brahman, in God. The second would be belief in Atman or in the soul. Thirdly would be in karma, or the fact that karma exists, basically. The fourth would be samsara, or the cyclic, the cyclical birth and death of the soul, the reincarnation process. And the fifth would be moksha, or liberation, which is done through godly acts. So here I am with Purnama, who is going to be doing this Sudhiwadani process soon. And Purnama, do you know anything about it so far? So far, I only know that the banten for this ceremony, uh, the offerings, cost a hell lot of money. <laughs> That's what I was told, which is why I'm going to do it together with my younger sister, uh, who is the same like me, half Swiss, half Balinese. And yeah, just in order to share the cost between us. So that is the only thing that I know so far. Oh, and as well, that is really important for me uh, in order to 
get into my Balinese family officially and officially become Balinese. What do you mean by officially becoming Balinese? Why don't you give some of our listeners a bit of an understanding of your background and how did you start even starting coming back to Bali and what's your parents like and what do they think about this and so forth? So my father is Swiss, my mother is a Balinese. Um, they have met two years prior to my birth in Bali. They have married in Switzerland, uh, gave birth to me in Switzerland. And when I was five years old, we moved back to Bali. So I spent a significant part of my childhood in Bali. And when we moved back to Switzerland at age 10, I just always felt really alien in that environment. And with my family there being very distant, um, I missed my my generous and warm and just open Balinese family. And I always knew in my heart, every time when I visited Bali for uh, holidays, I always knew in my heart that someday I'm going to return to this beautiful, colorful uh, culture that has such a different belief than the Swiss one, where everything is really, like, if, if you know Switzerland a little bit and the Swiss people, it's kind of dry and cold. They do have really good chocolate, though. <laughs> the chocolate is amazing. But I mean, now we have Ubud Raw, so <laughs> I'm not missing much. This is not a sponsored segment, <laughs> by the way. Well, um, yeah, so I decided to return to Bali uh, 10 months ago. But my passport is Swiss and double citizenship is not allowed so far for Swiss Balinese people, Swiss Indonesian people, according to the Indonesian government. And so if I want to legally stay in Bali without um, being on tourist visa or going through the process of a working kitas, I officially need to be accepted by my Balinese family into their Kartu Keluarga family card. And then I can apply for family kitas. All right. Well, if you've been to Bali before, if you tried to work in Bali or live in Bali longer, you'd know what a kitas is. What a kitas is. It's basically um, like a residency permit. Let's say that, like a like a PR, um, something like a PR. It's actually a step before that. It's a long-term stay visa. That would actually be a more technical term for it. However, um, yes, you don't really necessarily look Balinese, although you do have Balinese characteristics. You are learning Indonesian, picking it up really well. You do speak Balinese as well. However, you do run around and do navigate around the stigma, don't you? What do people say when they see you? Do they still call you a bule or a white person? All the time. It's every time when I speak in Indonesian or in Balinese to the locals, they're really surprised and look at me with open eyes and like, how do you speak Indonesian or Balinese so well? And then I say, well, I am Balinese because that's how I consider myself. And they don't accept that as an answer. So they would always uh, pick in and ask questions. Oh, what are your parents like? Um, why do you look so white? Why do you look like bully? And then I have to explain, well, yeah, uh, I'm half half. I'm nasi champur. So <laughs> then they accept it kind of. And how do you feel inside about your identity being Bali? Um, I feel Balinese because it's just... Um, it's because uh, the Hinduism really talks to me. It, it appeals to me much more than Christianism. I've never been a big fan of Christianism as soon as I read more into the Bible and uh, 
found out about what the church has done uh, in the past, but still I was uh, forced to get to get my confirmation when I was 16. I really didn't want to do it, but was forced by my grandparents and my parents back then. And just, um, I'm a yoga teacher now, so I did my yoga teacher training and just really appeals. I, I just feel that this philosophy really aligns with my own philosophy the most. I would say that I'm still mostly a deist. I believe that there is a higher power, but I wouldn't really put myself into a, into a category. But as I'm also very adaptable into every environment that I'm in, and currently I'm in Bali, and I, I'm from a Balinese family. My, my grandfather is a Pemanku, is a priest. And yeah, so it's just a logical way for me to continue my life. And we see a whole bunch of bulles or foreigners who are also here in Bali who basically fell in love with the island. Not only its nature or its very cheap prices or its food or its or its people, but with how they feel in the island, how, how they are connected with the land, how they're connected with the gods, how they're connected with the philosophy and with the religion itself. Which is actually quite um, funny because the Balinese themselves, they aren't able to explain so much about their own culture and their own religion and that's one of the reasons why this podcast exists um but they do feel it and this is what's most important they actually do embody that bhakti or that devotion and they have it within their hearts and here's the debate why can't someone who is not ethnically balinese or someone who is ethnically balinese but lived far off as you did pranama why can't they identify with balinese hinduism is it, do you think it's because the religion is so much tied up with the local culture and therefore being Hindu Bali means being Balinese? Yeah, definitely. I mean, in order to really understand the whole process or maybe not even understand, but uh, to know how to apply everything that it needs for the upacharas, for the... Um, how do you add? The, the ceremonies the ceremonies <laughs> it just needs so much and i think most people cannot really grasp that if they're if they haven't grown up with it like even for me i i mean i spent a chunk of my childhood here and i am from a family that is religious and more or less conservative as um at least uh my grandparents but still for me it's it's not really I'm, I'm not really able to grasp all this complexity of this religion and even like even if i cannot understand it how can someone possibly understand that comes from outside and has no link at all to this culture right so the ceremonies play a major role in the culture of the island and of the lives of the people i think that's evident for anyone who even visits bali for like 24 hours uh, you just see different offerings everywhere and while the very name bali itself means offering so you know it has to stay true to its name but it really is a ceremonial trap and it's also spoken in in the circles in hindu circles today in bali um, who are concerned with the, with preserving the culture and especially preserving the religion and more like the the consensus and the population of the religion because the whole majority of Balinese, they don't really have much money yet they are spending a lot of money on ceremonies and on different offerings 
and these ceremonies can cost a lot of money even for someone to die for example the cremation ceremony itself could cost approximately 200 to 400 million rupiah do you know how much that would be in euros like 400 million rupiah how much is that um that would be around 350 300 euros so it's a lot of money if you consider that um average balinese salary is 1.8 million so around 120 euros we're talking about 300 million not 3 million Oh, 300 million. Oh, well, that's a, that's a huge figure. <laughs> and that's, that's actually... That's in the thousands of euros. And that's actually quite a... That's actually what people would spend in, in approximately a month in, in ceremonies, especially if there's someone, someone, someone who's dying or someone who's getting married or someone who's being born. And that is quite surprising. And this is not only from one source, but I've heard this from multiple different Balinese friends. Um, from various different villages because these these ceremonies and, and these bantan or these offerings are not the same in every village. Every single priest would tell you and advise you different ingredients of sacrifice and they would cost a lot. Um, and this is one of the reasons why Hinduism is so tied up with the culture. It's because of the offerings and because of this, what I like to call the ceremonial trap. Um, let's discuss more about the ceremonial trap, Purnama. I've heard from you that you've had cousins who can't travel and who have difficulty working even in Bali itself because of these ceremonies. Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to invite my cousin to come with me to Singapore, to Malaysia, because I had to go abroad and I, I figured out I would pay for his ticket and just him to come with me. And he wasn't able to because there were upacharas ceremonies going on. And it just makes me feel um, sad because they don't have the same liberty that us Westerners have that we can just go and leave wherever, whenever we want. Like even when it's Christmas, we could spend a Christmas away from our family, but here it's regarded as, uh, yeah, not very respectful towards the community. And so back to the beginning when you asked me how I feel when I see, the, when I see foreigners uh, trying to, uh, when I see foreigners getting into the Balinese religion mm, can be cultural appropriation because they just take the best of the culture the, without seeing all the sacrifice that comes with it, all the sacrifice that comes with these ceremonies, all the money that goes in it, all the time that they invest in it. Like I would say that one third of their life, life's time they spend with ceremonies. And that's the price of being Balinese, I suppose. That's the price of actually being Hindu Bali. And possibly in the future, that might change with the simplification of ceremonies. And personally, I feel that with more and more foreigners adopting Hindu Bali, they would then be able to see, the Balinese would then be able to appreciate more what they were supposed to believe in, and they would appreciate more taking time and effort to studying the essence of sacrifice, studying the essence of their religion, and hopefully even try to make their religion more about how to feel it and how to, and how to um, adopt the belief system instead of just simply doing the sacrifice, similar to what the foreigners are doing when they do visit Bali. I totally agree on that because um, what I see within my family is that they just, uh, they carry out what they have to do, like the metanding and the mabantan, they carry it out like robots. They don't really think about it anymore when they do it. But what's really beautiful about the religion is 
like you said, the essence behind it, and we should get more back into what it is really about, why we do it, and not about oh we have to do it, we have to do this and this and this and this in order to achieve the ceremony. Meanwhile, for us foreigners living in Bali who have adopted the local religion and the local way of life, and perhaps are even getting a Balinese salary, we still have to haggle our prices in the market when we try to buy fruit and vegetables. We still have to simply just lie to them. I mean, I've lied to many Balinese um, shop owners. Trust me, the amount of lies I've given, I've told them my mom's Balinese. I've told them um, I've told them I married a Balinese. I've told them that. Um, I mainly told them that I come from a village somewhere in Gyanyar called Lotundu. <laughs> I've lied that, and then if I go to Gyanyar near the village of Lotundu, I tell them I'm from Denpasar. And then when I'm in Denpasar, I tell them I'm from Lotundu. <laughs> and I've basically confused a bunch of shop, shop owners because there is a foreign price and there is a local price. That's why I only shop in my local village where people know me. <laughs> so to avoid those questions and the, oh, but you look like bully, you know, the, the racism that basically I'm, I'm faced with. So yeah, I stick to where people know me usually. And me coming from another part of the country, from Jakarta, there is also racism amongst the ethnicities in Indonesia and that's, that's prevalent everywhere. However, in Bali, um, it is even more so because of the religion. So if you're from outside um, Bali, you're most of the time considered non-Hindu, obviously with some exceptions. And I am one of those exceptions. And it's really hard sometimes to actually explain to people that, that exceptions, those exceptions actually exist in a country of 220 million people. Um, they've just been living in one island in one village for so long and they've just been told that the rest of the country is Muslim or Christian to the fact that they do not exist in the existence of Hinduism beyond their island when actually it does exist. It's not a majority. It's definitely a minority, but it fe- it sucks to be a minority already and then to come to an island where you feel at home with your religion and still have people of your very own religion discriminate you. I can very much relate to that because... Also for me, for someone who um, was traveling the world and always feeling like a bit like an outsider everywhere, and then finally coming to Bali and feeling like home here because here I have family, I have roots, I have a home, a house, and still being considered a foreigner and still um, being asked every time when I go somewhere where I really come from, it hurts. It, It hurts in my heart. And also just sometimes I... um. Sometimes I think to myself, do Balinese even know where they come from? Because, of course, some of them are indigenous, but when you would look back and uh, look at the DNA of those people, there are many uh, who are probably mixed blood with uh, Malaysians, Chinese, Japanese, probably Dutch, uh, Indian, whatever. And we're all mixed. There's not really a pure blood race of any kind of uh, yeah of any population so I would love to the Balinese to appreciate that more like to see that there there are mixed blood Balineses and we're still Balinese even though we may look a little bit different well I hope with the complete grasping of the Panchasrada or the five main beliefs of Hinduism the Hindus in Bali can 
really understand further that the essence of the religion is not only a mere sacrifice of time or of money, but it's also a sacrifice of thought, a change of heart, and a complete fulfillment of wishes and desires to be connected to the divine through a particular religion and a particular culture that's really just beautiful and completely connected. Thank you so much, Purnama, for your time. And until then, Om Shanti, 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 Om. Um.